What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am Jack Vita, back for part five of our six-part MLB preview series for the year 2022. Uh, We've already run through four of these divisions, and today we're going to go through the National League West. We've got one remaining after this one, the AL Central. And in that one, I will also reveal my postseason predictions, my World Series picks, uh, so make sure you guys are all subscribed to the Jack Vita show. Uh, and we're going to be running lots of great content all season long. Some great guests along the way. Uh, make sure you guys log on to my site, jackvita.com and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any of the great content that we have coming very soon. At this time, I'd like to welcome in our guest returning to the show for uh, maybe the fifth or sixth time now. Uh, he, of course... Many of you should remember him from a show called Survivor, where he finished third on Survivor 23, Survivor South Pacific, 23, right? 23 is correct. 23. Uh, He's currently a baseball coach. He's been coaching in baseball for a while. He played college basketball or college baseball at the Division One level, loves the great game of baseball. He's been on here several times, including... Last uh, offseason, we had him with his uncle, Arrestus Destrade. Please welcome Albert Destrade. Welcome back, Albert. Jack, good to be back on, brother. Good to be back on talking a little baseball. Oh, man. It's, it's overdue. I mean, we had nothing to talk about these past several months. Nothing. No baseball. And now it's in, it's in hyperdrive. We, got, like, we had like four weeks to crank out these previews. These guys have stretched themselves out at spring training, and now we're just a couple days away from opening day. Yeah, it was a it was a very different offseason. It's uh, it seems like you know the last three years in baseball, there's been something different, right? Whether it's the pandemic or you know we had this work start stoppage with the collective bargaining agreement. So um, you know it, there a lot of things happened quickly after you know they came to an agreement, and uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun season, man. My uh, my Atlanta Braves. For those who've heard me on the program before, know I'm a I'm a big I'm a big Braves guy. Uh, looking to repeat this year. So, uh, uh, but I think there's gonna, there's gonna be some tough customers they got to go through this national league yeah and so today we're going to be running through the national league west and of course the team that plucked away freddie freeman from your atlanta braves the los angeles dodgers oh boy Uh, we're going to talk about that in greater detail but just just briefly because we'll we'll save the dodgers for a little later in this episode but i'd love to hear your thoughts on freddie freeman and how that whole thing shook out from an atlanta perspective albert yeah, that that the um, the Freddie Freeman leaving Atlanta is just it's a it's a it's a mixture of emotions for Braves fans. He gave so much to that organization. He's been the face of the franchise basically. Once Chipper Jones retired, the torch was kind of passed to Freddie. He's kind of been that guy, and I think that going into this offseason. I think almost everyone around baseball assumed Freddie Freeman would be back with the Atlanta Braves, right? It made sense. He's the right guy. It's the right fit. Um, But I think Alex Anthopoulos and the ownership group was very firm in their beliefs. And they've, they've been consistent with this. They just do not give long contracts to older players they're you know they've done magic with the one-year deals you know they they really hit with a one-year deal with josh donaldson they really hit with a one-year deal with marcel Zuna. 
Um, they've really committed themselves. Charlie Morton's another guy who they signed in a short deal to establish veteran players for short term deals. And they just weren't willing to give Freddie that extra year. It seems based on all of the reports and, you know, things I heard, I just think the way it happened was a little bit awkward, especially at the end when you hear the reports from Freeman's camp where, you know, they made the Olsen move without officially, you know, letting Freddie know, I, I think they, they basically got caught playing a game of chess or playing a game of poker, if you will, uh, where I think Freddie thought ultimately they would succumb to his wishes and they just got caught, uh, you know, in the middle and the Braves just needed to make a move. So it's, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little, you know, it's a bittersweet time for us because Freeman is now on the super team out in LA, but yeah, nothing but love for that guy. You know, I think all of Braves country really uh, is thankful to have had Freddie Freeman for as long as we did. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just going to make it's just going to make the storyline more interesting this year as we uh, get into the season and, you know, hopefully the postseason and see what what storylines come about. Yeah, I we called we did the NLE's preview uh, a couple days ago. And unfortunately, you got bumped from that, Albert, because you weren't available until a little later and a former ball player by the name of Mickey Morandini wanted to cover the NL East and uh, you got, you got bumped for, for him. I hope you're okay with that. I'm okay, man. Hey, listen, <laughs> last, listen, going into last season, we did, we did, we went on your show, Jack, and we did an NL East preview and people, a lot of people may not remember, but last year, the NL East was supposed to be the super division in baseball. They were going to say, Hey, this is the best division in baseball. That division actually underperformed. And guess who actually was the best division in baseball? It was the NL West. They actually had the two best teams in baseball and the two biggest, you know, uh, most highest win totals came out of that division. So uh, I'm looking forward to covering that with you today, bud. All right. Very good. So let's get into it and let's start at the bottom. I think that's the. I've been doing enough of these that I've done a different style of how I project these teams and all that. It's harder for me to kind of guess the win total on the the top teams at the division until after I've gone through the bottom teams. So let's get started with the Arizona Diamondbacks. How's that sound, Albert? Let's do it. Let's jump in. All right. Albert, were you paying attention to what they did this winter? What's this team looking like? You know, they made some interesting moves, Jack. I think, I think um, it, to me, baseball is really fascinating when it comes to roster creation and what teams do. I think they made a couple moves that most people would be kind of puzzled with or like, yeah, I, I don't understand that. But I think they position themselves really well. Here's what I think about them. The Arizona Diamondbacks will not be a team in playoff contention this year. But what they can do is they can set themselves up for um, the trade deadline to potentially move some veteran pieces and get prospects back. They're going to help build towards their future. This is a team that's rebuilding. This is a team that's I don't expect to compete for the next couple of years. But if you just look at a couple of the pieces on this team, there are some guys there that a competitor or a team that's in contention, you can easily see going out to go get. You look at Cattell Marte is an interesting piece. You look at Mark Melanson, who they signed, and a lot of people are like, why are they signing a, a veteran closer for a team that's not going to win a lot of games? I would I would venture to guess if Mark Melanson is effective this year, he's traded in July and, and will net them a, a pretty nice return of prospects for what was a nominal financial investment. Um, there's, there's a couple guys on that roster that look to me like good trade pieces. I could see Madison Bumgarner, if he uh, comes back to just any kind of reliable form, 
being moved, uh, you know, at the deadline. Um, there's just, you know, even, even a guy like David Peralta, an established left-handed hitter. Um, there's a lot of interesting pieces there that I think could help uh, leverage their future. You mentioned Cattell Marte. They just extended him, I think, within the past week. You think they're really trading him after that extension? I, I think he's a guy that they're going to hang on to in the long term. I think he's the guy they build around. You know, that's that's kind of like where, um, you know, this process kind of has to remain malleable. <clears throat> if you look at where, you know, to kind of touch back on my Atlanta Braves, uh, four years ago, a lot of people thought the Braves were still re- rebuilding, right? That first year they won the division, everyone thought they were in a transition process. But sometimes the season or, you know, the outcomes start to dictate what path you're going to go. I think if they're, you know, maybe mildly competitive or they're better faster than they expected, there's a chance they hang on to them. But, you know, my understanding is that their deal that they made to extend them was still pretty um, – um, was still pretty club friendly. So I don't think it's a contract that they'll have trouble moving. Um, I think that a, a, a controllable young asset like that is still somebody who could garner a lot of, um, you know, uh, trade pieces, or I'm sorry, a lot of prospects back. Additionally, this is a, this is a weird way to look at it. Sometimes guys are more valuable that are under more control. Meaning like if you look at where JT Romito was a couple years ago with the Marlins, one of the downsides, because I remember Braves fans were up in arms about why are we not trading for JT Real Muto. The biggest problem was with him was he only had two years of club control. So the Diamondbacks could be potentially trying to gain, to amplify their return by having I could tell Marte seem more appealing because he has more club control. It just seems rare to me that a team extends a guy and then trades him right away. And the reason why I believe that is is because what kind of message do you end up sending to your clubhouse when a guy is willing to play ball with you and sign the extension and then you just ship him out of town? Now, Arenado did get traded. That's probably the most recent example. Uh, he, I think he got traded maybe a year or two years after he signed that extension. So maybe that happens with Marte. I just, I, I, you'd, I think it'd have to be such an overwhelming haul, which they could get. I, I just I'm doubtful that they trade him this year, but maybe it comes in a year or two, depending on where they're at in their rebuild. Right. And he's a guy who's he's really interesting. Tell Marte's kind of a high ceiling, but also kind of a lower floor guy. This isn't like steady Eddie, you know what you're gonna get. Like Going into 2020, like Cattell Marte in 2019 had a 30 plus homer season, right? He can steal, he can, but he can also, if you look at what he did in 2020, he didn't really hit for much power, didn't really, you know, steal many bases. So I think he's a guy that it, when he's, you know, really clicking on all cylinders, can be, you know, almost like a miniature poor man's version of Ronald Acuna from, you know, from both sides of the plate. The guy can play center, um, he's he can run, he's got power. Um, he's kind of one of these flex guys who can play the infield a little bit as well. So um, there's, I, I think that there's still flexibility with him. Um, I, I agree. It, it does make sense to try to create stability and say, this is the guy we're going to build around. I just think they're too far away to start building around pieces. And I think they have to keep, uh, if I was in charge of that organization, everyone would be expendable. And I'm just trying to stockpile a young talent and build towards the future. That would be my approach and that's what I, I just reading between the lines that's what I'm I think they're doing you think Nick Ahmed is a guy who gets dealt this year at the deadline I mean he's a gold glove shortstop he eats up everything 
that type of player is very valuable, especially when you're in the thick of a pennant race. Yeah, I think he's a guy, I mean, he's originally drafted by the Braves. He's a guy who is a defensive specialist, as you said. It's interesting because a lot of the contenders are a little saturated at the shortstop position. If you look at most of the teams that are expected to be in contention, everybody has kind of a solid guy in that shortstop position. Again, injuries can happen. Um, and teams could, ha- you know, try to go a different direction. Um, maybe a team like the Giants could be a team that I could see making a move for him. Um, you look at Brandon Crawford, had a fantastic year last year, but he's an older player who's had an injury past, and the Giants are more of a defensive-oriented team who, who kind of build their success around pitching and defense. So if, if, if there's a team that I think he could go to, the Giants probably are the best fit, but... Beyond that, I don't know if Ahmed, he's just offensively a little bit limited. I'm not sure, um, you know, what kind of return he would net. But if I'm the Diamondbacks, I definitely would be willing to, to negotiate and try to, you know, see if I can capitalize on some something for him. It's a good call on the shortstop position, because if you do look across the league, pretty much every contender has a shortstop. I give you I'll give you one other team, though, actually, in this division, if Fernando Tatis Jr., who is going to be out at the start of this season, if he is a guy that maybe they're putting in the outfield or maybe they're DHing, I could see the Padres being a, and they're, they're the type of team that's been extremely aggressive recently trading for the players that they think they need. Maybe that's a spot. Oh yeah. I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll discuss them in, in depth here coming up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Them, but uh, that, that could make sense, man. It's a shame that Tatis isn't healthy because he's, you know, arguably the most exciting player in baseball, right? Uh, he's, you know, he's so dynamic and he just does so many things on a field that are just, you know, show stopping. But um, yeah, I, I, I could see that. I could, that I definitely don't, I would never rule the Padres out of trading for anyone. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> now the Diamondbacks, their pitching rotation, they had, they have a few young guys in this rotation in terms of Zach Gallen, Taylor Widener, and Luke Weaver, all three of them, uh, or sorry, Widener's not in the rotation this year. I don't see his name on here. I'm not sure where he is. But uh, Weaver, Widener, and Gallen were their three young guys last year in the rotation, and none of them posted the RA uh, below 4.2. Weaver was, of course, a guy that they got in that Paul Goldschmidt trade, Gallon was fantastic just a couple years ago in the Jazz Chisholm trade. And then Madison Bumgarner has been looking like he he doesn't look like he is in his prime anymore. He's on the he's now in his 30s and he's still only 32 years old, but he just re- has regressed significantly over the last few years. What what's your expectation out of this rotation this year, Albert? Honestly, I think uh, the Diamondbacks rotation, they're, they're going to take their lumps. Um, <clears throat> they have a couple veteran guys in Bumgarner, like you mentioned, uh, and um, Merrill Kelly. Yeah, Merrill Kelly. Yeah, I'm sorry. Merrill Kelly, who came over from pitch overseas, came back and had a nice 2020, but was injured last year for most of it. Um, their young guys have a lot to prove. Uh, Zach Allen, like you said, was a big part of that Jazz Chisholm trade to the Marlins. Uh I think I think they're going they're going to have a tough time in that division facing lineups like the Padres and the Dodgers. Um, you know, even obviously Colorado always is a difficult place to pitch. Um, <clears throat> I think they're a team that pitching is just it's not going to be their their calling card this year. And um, it's interesting to see you know who's who's in and who's out. I could see a lot of these names that we're looking at right now 
uh, not being part of the rotation year's end, whether it's they give opportunities to young guys in their organization to come up and pitch. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching and uh, hopefully for you know their bunch, they can find somebody that works and can keep them competitive. Yeah, I think Zach Gallen, if he's the type of guy who has a bounce back, you 100% trade him. I mean, that would make a lot of sense. But yeah, I, I think you're right on this rotation. It probably, well, <laughs> I don't, well, we'll take a look at Colorado's rotation, but this could be the worst rotation in the division. And then uh, the other thing is just, I guess, the only other thing I'll mention about Arizona before we get to like a win projection. Now, they did pick up Zach Davies, um, who I actually really like this pickup. Uh, he did not pitch well last year, but he's still only 28 years old. He's been very, very good uh, consistently outside of last year. And he is a pitch to contact guy. And the Cubs defense was not particularly great last year. I don't think Wrigley treated him very well, especially when the wind's blowing out and, and all of that stuff. So I, I think Davies is a good guy by low. Maybe you flip him at the deadline. Um, two other things, a couple of young players to keep an eye on this year. Number one, they do have the number 18 prospect in all of baseball Alec Thomas, he's expected to come up at some point this year. He's an outfielder, left-handed hitter. And then the other one uh, who we've seen some flashes of, and he'll definitely get no shortage of chances. I'll think, I think I would have to think he's going to play every day. Dalton Varsho. Dalton, Dalton Varsho actually got to watch him play in college. He played at University of Milwaukee in Wisconsin. Mm. Uh and uh, yeah, he was in our he was in our conference. We played them uh, several times. Great hitter, and he's the son of Gary Varsho, ex big leaguer. Yeah, they, they have some some interesting players and some interesting young guys. I, I another guy I really like for them is a guy I saw playing college also, Seth Beer, who I think is going to be their yeah. H. Talk about a great baseball name, right? <laughs> Beer. Um, he was a big left handed hitter out of Clemson. Um, I like Varsho too. Very versatile guy. You know, did some catching. I think he's going to play center for him this year. Yeah. Uh, Paven Smith is another guy too, who's a first round pick, college guy. They, they're. It's interesting when you watch these teams get assembled, Jack, and how they build rosters. To me, that's something I really like. Enjoy following in baseball. The the Diamondbacks have been a team that that have drafted a lot of college guys. Um, you know, even, you know, up and down their roster, there's a lot of guys here. Christian Walker was a big player in the SEC for a while. Um, you know, that's just kind of been their formula. Um, even when they took Dansby Swanson, one overall from Vanderbilt, that's just kind of been their model. So they, they have some guys that I think, you know, can, can be okay, can kind of like are prime to break out a little bit this year, guys that I think are interesting. Um, and, and just to make your point about Zach Davies, Zach Davies was really good in 2020. He, he, yeah. He had a bad year in 2021. Um, you know, he's a, he's again, he's a veteran guy who's more of a, he's not a stuff guy. He's more of a command and, you know, changing speeds. It really pitches off of that change up. He's got a plus plus change, but, um, again, another guy who I think is interesting if Zach Davies is throwing well and, you know, you're a team at the deadline who needs a starting pitcher, and you're in contention, let's say you're, you know, the Red Sox or, um, you know, potentially somebody in the, the Chicago White Sox, something like that. I could see somebody going out and getting a Zach Davies or an Oliver Perez. Like, you know, these guys, they can they can yield some value for them uh, later in the season in terms of getting a nice return if they if they have a good start. Davies is a guy from 27 through sorry, 2017 through 2020, those four years. 
Uh, so his age, I think it would be his 23 through 26 seasons. He had an ERA of like 3.7 and a pretty good whip at that at, as well. So uh, that's a that's a pretty good pitcher in uh, Major League Baseball. And it, a couple of those years, he was fantastic too, for that matter. Um, he's actually a guy that if I was running a front office, he'd be a guy that I'd consider this past winter of maybe he's one of those guys that I could make be a cheap controllable starter where I give him more than the, than the market is dictating, but it's still a relatively cheap contract, like a five years, 50 million kind of thing. And if that, that could end up being something that pays off for you. Cause I think he's a really good pitcher in this league. Yeah. And he pitches very differently than what you see out there. I thought it was interesting. The Cubs last year had three guys who they ran out there who all were kind of similar in terms of stuff. Like it was him, Hendricks and Mills. Yeah. Trevor Williams too. Trevor Williams too. They had a bunch of guys who operate in the mid eighties. Like you don't really see that in, in modern, like today's baseball where everyone's just lighting up radar guns. Kyle Davies is kind of a throwback. He's a pitcher's pitcher. You know, his pitchability is high. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I, I assumed he was older than he was. I just, I just double checked. I guess he's entering his age 29 season. I thought he was yeah. er, like early, you know, approaching mid thirties, like yeah. I thought he was 33, but yeah, he's younger than, than his experience, uh, you know, has been to this point. So um, it, maybe not, maybe not a bad idea to give him, you know, a cheap uh, extension and have him be an anchor and somebody who can show, you know, these young pitchers, because they're going to have a lot of young guys pitching with not a lot of experience and a guy like him who understands, hey, I can pitch while not throwing 100 and get guys out. That's somebody who usually is going to be able to guide younger players and give them good advice on how to develop themselves as pitchers. You know, 100 percent. That's a great point. OK, Albert. So last year they won 52 games, 52 and 110 their over under total via DraftKings is 66 and a half. I think we're both going under on this, would be my guess. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I think uh, the 66 and a half is an under for me. I forget what the number was last year. Uh, you might have it. They had some kind of losing streak on the road. I think. Oh, they, yeah, that's right. I think they might have had, this is, it was something like almost 30 games or something like that. It was, I think it was the highest. Uh, consecutive road losses in baseball history, if I'm not mistaken, it was 28 or 29. I'm this is yeah, it was somewhere in the 20s. I think that's right. It was yeah. really bad. Yeah, they had a rough, they had a real rough uh, go of it. So um, I think they're still, you know, gonna they're still in for a little bit of you know some lean times this year. Uh, so I'm gonna go under on the 66. Yeah, how many wins do you say, Albert? I'm going to say the Arizona Diamondbacks will win 61 games. Okay. I'm not, I don't really see them being nine games better than a year ago. Now, maybe the fact that I, I don't think San Francisco Giants are going to win 107 this year. So maybe there's some more wins to be had in that regard. There were two great teams last year in this division uh, that basically ganged up and said, give me your lunch money. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to say 56 wins. I think it's going to get ugly. It's going to it's going to be ugly before it gets better in this situation. I think they're going to lose a lot. Honestly, there's a part of me that feels like they're going to be even worse than they were a year ago. But I'll give them I'll give them four wins better because of that. That losing streak was so bad that that, you know, when you get in a funk like that, let's say they don't get in that quite of a funk. I'll say 56 and 106. Fair. Okay. fair. All right. 
Next one, Colorado Rockies, who said goodbye to their franchise shortstop, Trevor Story. And they said hello to a guy that I'm very familiar with here in Chicago, Chris Bryant. Now their franchise, I don't, we don't know. Maybe he's not playing third base. Actually, I think it looks like he's going to be in the outfield if they're going to play Ryan McMahon at third base. Um, but basically what this is, is you're you're replacing Arenado with Chris Bryant. And this was something that I actually was, I should say, a little surprised. Maybe it's just because I'm from Chicago and I'm used to seeing what the Chicago takes are on Chris Bryant. Um, a lot of people were, did not like this move uh, in the national media and Colorado fans weren't too pleased with it. I actually think that it's a really good fit for Chris Bryant I understand the frustration because they wanted to keep story. They wanted to keep Arenado, but Bryant's going to be about $80 million cheaper than, or maybe $90 million cheaper than Arenado's contract. And they're acquiring a really good player who I think his numbers are going to go up playing at Coors Field. Yeah. The, the, um, the Chris Bryant decision to me is a curious one. Now, inherently does he, does Chris Bryant as a player bring a lot of value to a franchise? Absolutely. He's, you know, he was the rookie of the year. He led the Cubs to, you know, that historic run where they, you know, won the World Series. He was the MVP. I mean, he was, he was the guy, right? He was, this is the next superstar in baseball. And things just kind of didn't work out for Chris Bryant. He had some injury trouble. He's always been a guy with some back issues. Um, he, you know, he, he's a guy that I think got a little bit soured with the business of baseball. Um, he had, you know, the, the Cubs had the most glaring, uh, situation of service time manipulation, I think in history, right. Where they literally waited yeah. until the one day he was eligible to call him up so they could steal the extra year to the point where Chris Bryant was involved in a lawsuit with, you know, major league baseball to try to see if he'd get that year back. So I think he just kind of went into this free agency and just said, screw it, man. Like I'm go I'm getting my money. Like they've kind of toyed with me to this point. You know, I'm a guy who like was supposed to be the next, you know, if you, if you look back to when Bryant was in that second year, of the Cubs, Jack, you could have said this, this guy will be a top five player in baseball for a decade. Yeah. Right? This is going to yeah. be, this is, this is a, this is the guy, this is what they look like. And it just like, kind of like, got away from him a little bit so i under i guess his mentality as the way i understand it is like i you know i want to get paid i want to i want to get make sure that i'm taken care of and i want to get my money and that's kind of what he did on the flip side i wasn't in love with the move for the rockies it just he, here's my point I, the worst thing you can be in baseball is one foot in and one foot out i i truly believe that the teams that have been very successful if you look at what the astros did Look at what the Braves did. Look at what a lot of these organizations have done that have gone through a full rebuild is they clean out the closet. They get literally everything and everyone off the books and they recycle it. And then when they're in, they are in. And the Rockies are, they've just, they've been a confusing organization. It feels like they try to put one name or two names together and, and be like, hey, we have, you know, we have, we have some nice players. We have Dolan Arenado. We have... DJ LeMayhew, we have Charlie Blackman. They have these these nice pieces, but they don't have a winning formula. And I think when when you don't do that, you have to clearly gut it. And I thought that the Arenado trade was them finally saying, "Okay, we are going to gut this thing." They let DJ LeMayhew walk. You know, they you know they they just seem like they're about to do it. And this move to me again feels a little bit like they're caught in between. It's like you know they're not a team that I think Jack is going to be competitive this year 
or potentially, you know, the next two or three. So it's, it's an interesting move. Maybe it's something, maybe it's PR. Maybe they think they'll sell tickets by having a name like Bryant. Um, I don't understand that side of it. I'm sure they do better than I do, but from a baseball wins and losses side, I don't think this would be a Brian Kenny approved, uh, <laughs> my boy, Brian Kenny. I don't think he loves it. <laughs> well, my counter to that would be the, the key is yes. When you, in terms of one foot in one foot out, I think what you're doing is you're basically acquiring as much minor league talent as you can. You can still do that. If you see a free agent that you like, and you think that in a couple of years, he can push this thing forward. And yeah, they're probably not going to break. I mean, last year they won 70, let's see, 72, 74 wins last year. Um, and they had a game that they didn't make up. So they have 74 and 87. So they weren't terrible, like bottom of the league bad. Um, but yeah, this team's not competing for a division, not this right. year. Um, but I, I don't know. I think if you see a piece and you like the piece and you like the dollar amount and you don't think you're that far away, I don't know. I don't think it's a bad move. I like it. I think they got a guy who personally, I think from Bryant's perspective, think about it from Chris Bryant's perspective. You brought about, you brought it up a little bit. Chris Bryant, one of my favorite players in this league, uh, the, the knock on him in Chicago. And a lot of people have talked about is he's not the most clutch hitter. He's not a guy that you necessarily always trust in high leverage situations. At least that's been his case, the story on him for a couple of years now. Um, so he was between Colorado and Philadelphia for his own good. I'm glad he didn't go to Philadelphia because if you get to May and he's struck out with guys on second and third, a few times they're booing him in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. So he, he goes back out West, not that far from his home in Vegas, uh, lower pressure, Good situation. I, I personally, I never got the sense that he loved the city of Chicago. Um, I think he's just a smaller market kind of guy. Um, and this is definitely a, a smaller market, lower pressure. And I mean, this is a thought that I had. Remember, remember the 2013 draft? Remember how the Cubs had the second pick and the Rockies had the third pick? I'm trying to try. Yeah. Uh, the Cubs took Bryant two overall, right? Yep. And then the Rockies went with John Gray. The Rockies actually wanted Chris Bryant. That was back when Dan O'Dowd was the GM of the Colorado Rockies. And they wanted Bryant, but he was off the board. And I was thinking about, well, what this was before they I even knew that he was thinking about signing. I was thinking about this recently. I was like, what would Chris Bryant's career be like if he played in Colorado? He would hit a lot of home runs. He hits a lot of high fly balls yeah. uh, that... <laughs> Sometimes the wind blows in at Wrigley. Sometimes it pushes it out. And these are going to go out at Coors Field. I really think that for his own career, this is giving him a better chance at making the Hall of Fame. You talk about those first few years that he had that were truly elite. The last few years, not quite. I think he could have a renaissance here in Colorado. And I think that uh, one other thing, I'll say this, Albert, we talk about injuries. And that's been kind of that's sort of stuck to him is that he's injured. He's only had one full season. If you're not if you take away 2020 every year, 2015 through 2021, he's only had one season where he played less than 144 games. So that even though he does get hurt, he plays through it. He plays well. And I, I think that his uh, I think he's gonna have a nice renaissance here in Colorado. 
Yeah, I mean, th- listen, I, I think as much as I was puzzled by the Rockies' decision, as, as were a lot of others, you make some good points. Like, listen, Chris Bryant's still a very good baseball player who's 29 years old. He's a f- former MVP. Like, you're right. Like, there's a chance, like, you know, they're going to put him in the outfield, which is a little bit less strenuous than playing the infield. You know, there, there's a universal DH, so a guy like him who's such, you know, he's their franchise moving forward. You know, you can protect him at the DH spot a little bit and, and you know, take a little bit of burden off of his body. Like, I, I, I agree with you. I think he could come back this year and be like, whoa, Chris Bryant hit 40 home runs. You know, yeah. I, I would not be surprised at all if that happened. Is Chris Bryant's offensive production going to be the catalyst for the Rockies going to the playoffs and having a run? <laughs> I would be very surprised. But all that said, uh, you know, good for him. He's a guy, he's a likable guy, a guy that I agree maybe he's he'll do better uh, being out west, you know, playing the outfield. He has stability. He doesn't have that sour, you know, I think he got a little bit soured with the business of baseball. And I think that for him now he can just relax, not have to yeah. worry about contracts. And am yeah. I, am I going to be traded? You know, that last year with the Cubs, you know, this last most recent season, the whole, the whole story, I feel like the whole year was, well, where are they going to trade Chris Bryant to? Like he was, the, yeah. he was a lame duck star, which is a really odd position for him to be in as opposed to being like a highly sought out commodity uh which he should be because he's, he's a great baseball player so um yeah, i'm looking forward to see how it develops and you know it's a seven year i think 183 million something like that 180 something million contract so i'm uh, interested to see how how it plays out for the rockies and uh you know w- what they put around them well they did add randall gritchick that was probably the other uh significant addition to this club other than that i mean was there anything else that i missed in terms of adding a like key player to this team that looks pretty similar from what it looked like a year ago minus Trevor story. Yeah, they didn't really they didn't add a, a whole lot that I that I uh, saw, you know, they're really going to kind of get some guys within the organization some opportunities. Um uh they're they're a team that, you know, they they made another surprising move a lot of people didn't talk about. They extended Ryan Ryan uh, McMahon to a I think it was like a 5-year deal. Yeah. Uh, which was, you know, a lot of people were like, man, it's a lot of money for a guy like that. But um, I think they're trying to build, you know, a, a team. They're trying to say, all right, these are our guys. Let's work around. Let's work with them. Randall Gritchick, I think, is a nice, sneaky, um, good player who probably will put up some good numbers hitting in Colorado. Uh, they're going to give Brandon Rogers the, you know, the keys to the to the job every day at second base. He was he's been their long, uh, long time number one prospect coming up. Um, you know, they're, they're a team that. Uh, you know, Charlie Blackman is still there. He's he's a professional hitter. Um, they're a team that I think is offensively going to just give some guys a chance. Um, they'll probably still score some runs. The pitching is probably still going to be an issue. Um, the bullpen's a little bit better. Uh, the starting pitching is is always kind of the, the crux for them. That's really where it all comes down to is just the pitching side. Um, Herman Marquez, when he's good, is very good. When he's not, you know, he can get a little bit erratic. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, they're just, they're just hoping that, you know, some of the other guys in the back part of that rotation uh, are contributors. You know, Austin Gomber was a big piece. They got back from Nolan Arenado. Um, Kyle Freeland is a guy that, you know, w- was had a little bit of hype behind him. So, you know, they need some of those guys. Albert, yeah. Kyle Freeland was an elite pitcher in 2018. He, he got Cy Young votes. He had an ERA under two at Coors Field. And it's just been fascinating to see what's happened to him since. Yeah, he's a guy that I was like, finally, there's a Colorado Rockies pitcher who's like 
considered among the elite starters in baseball. He had good stuff. He's, you know, he he defied, you know, pitching in course field. <laughs> and he's just kind of becoming a little bit of enigma for them. So uh, I don't, I, you know, I don't know what, I don't really know uh, how to project him. He's a guy that, you know, if he went out this year and had a, had a, a 3.4 ERA, I'd be like, I wouldn't be that surprised. And if he had a 5.4 ERA, I wouldn't be that surprised. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of where he's at. So, um, yeah, they're, they're a team that's that, um, you know, I, I don't I don't know the direction they're going to go, but uh, they're they're going to get some guys some chances and, and hopefully be competitive, you know? Yeah, I think all four of their their main starters have all again, they've shown a lot of promise at different points. Gomber, Freeland, Herman Marquez and Antonio Sensatella, another one for that matter. Um, so, like you said, it's there's also just the catch 22 of pitching at. Coors Field. It's a it's a really hard place to pitch in the in Colorado with the high altitude, and so naturally you get a lot of pitchers who are inconsistent. I mean, is the recipe for building this team, Albert? Is it that you are able to build up a really good team in terms of position players, and then do you just sign free agent pitchers that are accomplished? Is that what they got to do? You know, it's it, it's it's really interesting, man. I uh, I think I heard John Smoltz talk about it uh, years ago and it's again going back to roster creation the rockies have tried a couple different formulas there was you know in the when the, in the 90s when they first started they're like wow the ball really jumps here and they just <laughs> got a bunch of thumpers they were like vinnie castilla and dante they <laughs> just had all these dudes that hit homers and then they're like man we score a lot of runs but we're, we're not really winning that much so then they're like well let's try to go get some starting pitchers and they paid a bunch of money for mike hampton and they paid a bunch of money for like you know, these established starters and that didn't work out for them either. Then they like tried the speed thing. They're like, just get a bunch of fast guys. Cause this is actually like a really big, people don't realize course field. Yeah. The air is thin, but there's a lot of real estate out there. Oh yeah. It's a big outfield, the walls, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of territory. Um, so they've tried a bunch of different models and not, you know, they haven't had much success. Their latest one, I think three years ago, they went all in on bullpens. They went and got, um, former Cubs closer, uh, Wade, uh, Wade, Wade Miley. Was it? No, uh, uh, Wade Davis, Wade Davis. Sorry. Wade Davis. Sorry. Yeah. They went and got, they went and got, they went and got Wade Davis. They went and signed, uh, a couple high end relievers and tried to really build the back end of that bullpen. And it just didn't work out for them. So they've tried a couple different strategies and they haven't found something that works. I think they're a team that has to build pitching. If I was in charge of that organization, I would just do, Kind of what the Braves have done, which is just draft a million pitchers, literally draft pitchers, develop arms and try to go that route because it's honestly hard to get pitchers to come to Colorado. I don't think pitchers want to go there. I don't I don't remember the last time a marquee free agent starter has signed to come to the Rockies. Um, you know, usually they have to kind of overpay, which doesn't make a lot of sense for them. So they got to develop pitchers. And I, I'm going to take a quick moment to shout out. A buddy of mine, a kid that I actually coached, the mm. first guy that I coached uh, in college to make it to the major leagues. He's in their bullpen this year. His name is Tyler Kinley. Uh, this will be his uh, fifth year in the big leagues. Great guy. Great story out of Barry, Barry University down here in Miami. He um, you know, had multiple arm surgeries in college, didn't play his first three years, almost gave up playing baseball. Um, uh, Christian guy too, really good, hardworking kid. Kept his head down, got drafted by the Marlins, and now he's kind of solidified himself as a bullpen piece. He's a good arm, man. He works in the mid to upper 90s, has a nice cutter. 
Um, so he's a guy that uh, I'm, I'm going to be personally rooting for just because I have a personal connection to him. Tyler Kinley, really good dude. Get him on the show. Let's talk to him sometime. I'll, I I could I could almost I could uh I, I I can pull some strings for you. I don't want to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would say I would say there's a I would say more likely than not I could get, <laughs> get you my buddy Tyler Kinley. You'll love chatting with him. He's a great awesome. Guy. Sweet. Okay, cool. Well, I'm excited to watch him. You mentioned w- one more thing I'll add in terms of pitching. I mean, is, is is there a way that they could put all of their minor league teams in Colorado so when those guys come up through the system, they're used to pitching in the high altitude and that's not... I mean, I know they're... I think their rookie ball team is in Colorado, but aside from that, I, I don't think the rest of their affiliates are in Colorado. And so if they could come up being used to that high altitude... Don't you think that would make a difference? That's actually a really smart idea. I know they have a couple of levels that are in Colorado. Yeah, they have a couple. I think Colorado Springs, to me, sounds like a team that they have. Um, also, Jack, did you hear Major League Baseball is doing something this year where they're they're going to apply the humidor um, effects to all, thir- all 30 stadiums? Mm. I, didn't, I didn't know if you heard this, but yeah, they're kind of going to they're going to do you know, and, and both sides of it. So obviously in, in Colorado, the altitude's, you know, high, the air is very thin. So they apply uh, um, humidity to the baseball, but here places like South Florida, they're actually going to, they're going to use it for the, for the inverse effect. They're going to take humidity away from the baseball. So uh, I'm interested to see how that that's going to affect the game all over. I, from what I've heard from players is apparently the hardest thing, what gets most affected other than the travel, like the distance of the baseball is how breaking balls work. Like guys say that in Colorado, like breaking balls don't break as much, which is pretty crazy, right? <laughs> so it's like you know, <laughs> you're a guy who like lives off your slider, and now you're you're going out there, you're trying to throw a put me away slider, and the thing just kind of spins on you. So um, it, it's a tough thing to do, and I, I I can only imagine how it affects the pitcher's psyche, right? Think about their confidence going out there and, and not knowing what a pitch is going to do. That's fascinating. I actually don't know much about that. I'm going to have to do some research. All right, last year, the Rockies won 74 games. Their over-under total is 68 and a half. Personally, I don't think they're going to be six games or seven games worse from a year ago because I, I you know, they, they had Story, but Story was injured a little bit. I mean, he played, let's see. He underperformed, underperformed last year. He did not have he a... did. Yeah, so you're basically the main change. Well, Story did play, uh, but he underperformed. I think you're at just from offense. I think Brian is going to be an upgrade over story from what story gave them a year ago. The rest of the team stays the same, except you had Gritchick. I think Gritchick will probably give you 30 homers. Um, so if anything, I think this team's going to be slightly better than it was a year ago. What do you think? Um, what is our total? What is our projected total? So the uh, Vegas is 68 and a half. And last year they won 74 games. I actually agree with Las Vegas. They're pretty sharp. <laughs> I think they're actually going to be a little bit worse than the 74. Um, they're a team that I think is going to regress a little bit just because, like you said, you're like, hey, what was their big problem last year? Pitching. What did they add almost none of? Pitching. Like They didn't really get better in that, in that category. Um, and I think it's a team that, uh, to me, is kind of still in that in-between uh, I, I don't. I think that division is still very tough, especially at the top. Um, you know, they're they're a team that to me is is going to be a little bit. I, I would have them very very close to that sixty eight number. I actually think that's like exactly where I have them at. 
So this is the most that we've differed so far because I'm actually going to say they're two wins better than they were a year ago. I know they're hoping that they're basically they're running it back with the pitching staff. They lost John Gray, but again, John Gray wasn't that was interesting. John Gray got a, a good amount of money off the promise that new pitching coach get him out of course field and he he clicks and he figures it out. I mean, John Gray had a four five nine ERA last year. So basically your core is Marquez, Senzatella, Freeland, Gomber. Freeland had a rough year last year and had to go to AAA. The hope is that one of, if not all of these guys figure it out. So I, I'm going to say one of these guys ends up below four, has a good year. I'm going to, I'll say it's Marquez. I think Marquez is the best guy in the staff and maybe Gomber gives him a little something in his second year pitching at cores. So you factor in what I added, uh, what I mentioned with Bryant coming over and Grichik. I say they're two wins better than they were a year ago. So I'm actually differing 10 games from you. I'm going to say 76 wins for the Colorado Rockies. 76. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty close with the new playoff format. That means like they're, you know, a couple bounces of the baseball away from being in the hunt. So, yeah. Okay. You got a lot of, you got a lot of faith in, uh, you got a lot of faith <laughs> in the, the crew out in Colorado. I, I, I don't know, Jack, I don't know if you're just saying that to get my boy, Tyler Kinley on the show, but <laughs> either way, uh, <laughs> it plays out. that's what makes this fun, right? That's, I, yeah. I, I have him at 68 and you got him at uh, 76. So there we go. It's, well, it's funny because you figured me out. I, I put the Phillies in the playoffs. So Brandon will come on the show. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> This guy, this guy knows then he knows how to build he knows how to build a guest list <laughs> all right so next up the San Diego Padres who I mean it was really interesting last year because there were a lot of people who were picking the Padres to win the NL West uh, and we were talking about an arms race between San Diego and Los Angeles and in the first half, it was really interesting. I mean, the Padres and the Dodgers, those games were super entertaining. It looked like that was going to be the race. And then San Francisco just kept hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. Everyone was expecting the regression from the Giants. Um, and the Padres ended up falling below 500. They went 79-83. Now, it's actually interesting because my concern on San Diego going into last year was that they hadn't put a full season together because back in 2019, they did something similar. They had, they were a competitive club in the first half, and then the second half of the season really fell off significantly. In 2020, they won a postseason series, but, of course, that was a shortened year. It was a weird year. Um, things were a lot different. So the question now becomes, can the San Diego Padres put a full season together, and will it all click for them in 2022? All right, so I, I'm a guy who has – and will continue to drink the San Diego Padres Kool-Aid. <laughs> this is a team to me that is still terrifying. I remember they had a collapse at the end of last year, which cost their manager his job. But I, I, I'm still surprised when you just said that they finished with 79 wins. Because to me, that was a really good team that had some unfortunate injuries, kind of underperformed. But I look at this roster, Jack, and this to me is a team that is scary. I mean... That starting rotation is pro probably the deepest in baseball when healthy. When you're looking at Chris Paddock, who, yeah, he's soured. You know, people have soured on him a little bit. 
But if that's your like sixth best option, you know, with Mackenzie Gore behind you, you look at those guys up top, you look at Musgrove, you Darvish, Blake Snell, who, you know, people forget how good he can be when he's good. Mike Clevenger's coming back and they just traded for Sean Manaya. Like AJ Preller cannot be stopped. He's like, <laughs> he, he runs the San Diego Padres. Like, you know, most super fans want their team to be run. They're like, we need this. And he's like, you got it. <laughs> like he literally, I don't think I can ever in any sport. I don't know if I, I I can even think of a GM who's close to as aggressive as AJ Preller is. I don't know how they continue to do it. Isaiah Thomas, Isaiah Thomas, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God bless him. Yeah, yeah maybe Isaiah and uh, maybe Ditka back in the day when he traded his whole draft for uh, Ricky Wood. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. It, Listen, man, he's a go-getter. He goes and, and signs people. He goes and, you know, makes trades. He he, he he never stops adding. And somehow, you know, I'm not sure what's happened in San Diego. For me, it's interesting, Jack. I used to think of them as like a small market team. I was like, oh, the Padres. Like, you know, they're that other team out there. Like, growing up, the Padres weren't these big spending, you know, big payroll team. And now it's like, oh, they gave this guy $100 million. They gave that guy $300 million. They're just like, I don't know where they just grew a money tree and just start throwing <laughs> bananas. It's nuts. And they're a dangerous team, man. This, to me, is a team that I think if the San Diego Padres win the 2022 World Series, I would literally not be surprised. I mean, this is a, a, a team that's dynamic. It's, you know, they're they're scary offensively, scary on the pitching side. They have prospects. They have, um, you know, young superstar-type guys on the roster. Um, you know, obviously, Fernando Tatis being out for a couple months – is going to hurt, but at the end of the day, teams have shown that they can win without their superstars. The Braves did it last year without having Acuna for half of the season and all of the postseason. Um, and Tatis will play this year. I mean, I barring a setback, that you're going to get a couple months of baseball out of this guy. And if they get into the playoffs with that team and that roster, good luck. Nobody's going to be excited about facing them. So you touched on basically everything on this team. We got to zoom in on some of this stuff. So let's start with the rotation. Yeah. It's interesting because you, you mentioned they traded for Manaya. I saw a funny tweet the other day and it was basically to the point of the criticism that people have. They're like, Oh yeah, that screw the Dodgers. They buy their team. And really, if you take a look at the, the Dodgers roster, most of that, that team was built through the draft and through, uh, picking up guys like Max Muncie and Justin Turner who are undervalued by other teams. That was the blueprint. And now they're going out and they're adding last year. They had Trey Turner last year. They added Scherzer and then they go out and get Freeman. So it's not like they're, they're not spending money. They're absolutely spending a lot of money, but a lot of it is for their homegrown talent in order to retain them. Um, but someone brought up the point, the Padres, the Padres have traded for their entire rotation. So, maybe the Padres buy their players. That's what someone said on Twitter. Oh, the Padres are, are like, they're the, they're the buy. They're the Yankees. They're like the, yeah. they're the, we buy the former all-stars team. Like that's, <laughs> that's what they've been doing. It all, it started really, you know, the first move of it was when they traded all that young talent, Max Freed and co to the Braves for Justin Upton, Craig Kimbrell and that, and that big package. And that was like the first big splashy move that we were like, wow, this is, a big move for the Padres. And it's like, they kind of haven't looked back since. And I agree with you. Like they're a team that like the Dodgers are very homegrown. Dodgers actually for a long time, people don't realize they like refuse to trade any top prospects. They literally had a hard freeze on anybody that was valuable. 
I think until, until that Trey Turner deal you just mentioned, when they moved Kbert Ruiz, and, I'd uh, say Mookie Betts was probably the first one. Yeah, yeah, maybe the the Mookie deal was the first time they actually moved some big some big dudes. But like the Padres haven't done that. The Padres have traded a lot of people. They've signed a lot of dudes, um, and they're yeah. Albert, cut out for a second. Hey, buddy. Yeah, you still got back. me. Yep. Yeah, and I don't know, you know, how that formula is going to work out. You know, it, it's sometimes it's it can be hit, sometimes it can be missed, and when it misses, it can set your organization back a while. But they're one of these teams that is they're not one foot in, one foot out. They're every foot in. They're they are fully all in, and they're going for it. So um, they're going to be an exciting team to watch this year. So their rotation's interesting because Snell wasn't great last year. Darvish, I I think Darvish's best days are behind him. I don't think that you Darvish from Texas is showing up again. Last year, we saw it for the first half. And then, coincidentally, we made some changes in terms of what you're allowed to use on the baseball. And it, you can look at basically up to that point, he had an ERA around 2.5 something or below that. And after that, he was like a 4.5 ERA the rest of the season. Um, and there were several games where he couldn't get out of the first inning. So I, I'm not I'm not big on Darvish. I never really loved that pickup for the Cubs. I was really surprised that he pitched as well as he did in 2020, but that was also an, a weird season. Um, so I'm not I'm not entirely counting on Darvish. I think Snell will be solid, but again, I don't I don't think Snell's an ace. Um, Manaya I think will be really good. Musgrove I really like a lot. I think this is a great fit for him being back home where he grew up in San Diego. He threw the no hitter last year. He loves this team. Um, Clevenger is going to start the season on the DL and it sounds like they're shopping paddock actively right now. Mackenzie Gore, he, uh, struck, he took a step back last year in terms of his development. There were high expectations with him. Um, so it's, there's a reason why they keep trading for guys and they might trade for more guys. I mean, last year, they were just kind of picking up guys off the street to start in their rotation at the end of the season, Jake Arietta included. Yeah, they, they, they're a team that ran into the injury bug. And <clears throat> listen, I, I agree. Like this, this U Darvish that's on the 2022 Padres probably isn't prime time top of his game, U Darvish. But when I look at that rotation, Jack, I don't see necessarily a true showstopper ace. Mm -hmm. But I see a lot of guys who are like really good number twos or threes, right? Yeah. There's like five dudes in that rotation that if he's your two and three, you're pretty happy with it. And when you have, to me, their strength in numbers and their strength in depth. And I think that, you know, guys like Snell, if you look at, I, I think it's something like his last 10 outings last year. He was very good. He was going, he was starting to get back into who he was, you know, with the Rays when he was, don't forget, this is, this guy won a Cy Young Award a, a couple years ago. He was a guy who was the subject of how did you take him out of this game in the World Series? Cause he was that dominant. Like, you know, when he's right, he's very, very good. He, he granted, he didn't have a great entire year last year, but the stuff is still there. He's still a mid to upper 90s guy from the left side with a devastating breaking ball. Uh, Mike Clevenger against, yes, he's starting the year in the DL, but it's a knee thing. It's not an arm thing. You know, he's a guy recovering from Tommy John. So uh, to me, Clevenger, when he's right, that's a really nice number two or three. 
Same with you, Darvish. Same with, you know, Sean Manai is a really nice left-handed pitcher who's going to finally, I think, give him some really important innings. Um, there, there's some dudes in that rotation, man. If, if Chris Paddock somehow finds it, I don't really know. Uh, that's a guy to me that two years ago, I would have bought a lot of stock in Chris Paddock. If you look at his minor league numbers, he was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, the guy would strike out 200 guys and walk 20. It was just like, he he just, you know, the fastball changeup combo was elite. He just looked the part of that next big elite starting pitcher. And then for some reason, the last two years, something happened where he's just, he just can't get guys out like he used to. But, you know, if they can get somebody in there to fix him or if they move him, I I heard that they're, you know, I'm sure you heard as well. There there's talks that they were trying to trade him and Eric Hosmer in a package. Yeah. I think that's going to happen because they had, They've like we've talked about. They have spent pretty extravagantly here, and it sounds like they're actively shopping Hosmer and Paddock. And that's is the kind of move that the Cubs should take on. I mean, take on that money and bring on a guy like Chris Paddock. And I don't know what I don't know what the Cubs offer back to the Padres. Maybe it's a guy like Ian Happ or or I, I really don't know. But pretty much it's going to be a salary dump, and you can acu- you can acquire a guy who has the potential to be a really, really good pitcher in this league. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think Paddock still is a guy that I I think can figure it out. Like I could easily yeah, see I think he like, will. A team we're about to talk about here in a moment in the Giants or the Rays, some of these like really smart teach you how to get better at pitching organizations, take a guy with that talent, and next thing you know, you're like, wow, this guy's really good again. Um, the Hosmer deal is interesting to me. The Hosmer deal to me is kind of what the Chris Bryant deal is to the Rockies. Remember, when they signed uh, Eric Hosmer, the Padres were not good. And Eric Hosmer was kind of a fringy star. Like, he was a star, but not, you know, that guy. And I thought at the time they overpaid for him. And now it's like that contract is turning into an albatross for the organization. So they're in an interesting position with him because they're trying to go get it but they need to kind of clear him and put somebody else in there. A move I really liked that not a lot of people talked about was they traded for Luke Voigt, who, when he's right, man, that, that guy is a, a dangerous menace in the middle of the lineup. I mean, he hit yeah, 22 yeah. home runs in 2020 in like, in like 50 games. <laughs> I mean, when he's, <laughs> that guy, when you know, if, if you put him in that DH spot in the middle of that order um, and, you, you know, you back him up with, you know, with Manny Machado and Grisham and all these other guys in that lineup – all of a sudden, man, that's that's a dangerous lineup. So I wouldn't be surprised if they move Hosmer and and and, um, and Paddock in a deal. And I don't know if the Cubs are going to do it. <laughs> I'd be surprised if the Cubs uh, open up their pockets to embrace that Hosmer deal. Really, you would? I, I'd be a little bit surprised, man. The Cubs are. Uh, I don't know if they're looking to take on that kind of money, and I think they're going to. I think so. You think you think they are? I I think I don't agree with this kind of idea. That the Cubs are cheap because the Cubs offered a lot to all three of those guys. And none of them play ball with them. Like they offered more to buy it. They offered two hundred million to Baez, and Baez ended up taking one hundred twenty million a year later. Yeah, they did, and they did sign Seiya Suzuki this offseason. Yeah. You know, they spent some money on him. Um, you know, I don't know what their deal is with Frank Schwindel, how committed they are to him and wisdom to give them kind of like the first base DH opportunities yeah. moving forward. But um, yeah, maybe you're right, man. I, I, listen, I, I, I'm with you. Growing up or historically in baseball, I've always thought of the Cubs as more of a big market spender than the Padres, but things have kind of <laughs> shifted recently. The Ricketts just stopped wanting to spend money for some reason. But uh, yeah. Not true. Not true. No? You Disagree. don't think so? Don't think so. I think that it's all about, like, you know, the price is right. 
So, you know, again, they offered Anthony Rizzo $70 million and he had to take $32 million a year later. Right. Like yeah, they was... offered these guys and they didn't play ball with them. And so it's basically like, okay, well, we can, we can, you know, let these it just, guys I guess it's the way that they traded them because they didn't, they didn't let them ride out the contract, right? They traded Baez, they traded Brian, yeah. traded Rizzo. So they, I think that the, the, the optics of those trades made it seem like, oh, we don't want to pay you. We're just going to trade you, you know? Yeah. I think well, they, like, they tried to pay him. I mean, it was basically like, okay, well, we've tried to extend all three of these guys and they're not going to, I mean, we can't let them walk for nothing. We got to get something here. Team's not going to win. Team's not going to compete. And quite frankly, that core really underachieved over the last couple of years. Oh so. man, you're, you're telling me, I thought when the Cubs in the prime Bryant days of like 17, 18, I looked at that Cubs team and I'm like, this is a dynasty. This is a 10 year run team that's built to win. I thought they, you know, at least from a position player standpoint, they were loaded, right? Like absolutely yeah. loaded with young, controllable talent that was dynamic all over the field. You, you know, the infield, the outfield, catcher, I mean, everything that speed, power. But um, there, I agree with you that winning one World Series and that really being it was a little bit of a disappointment for them. And um, who knows? I don't, know if, I don't know if they make sense as a partner for Hosmer and, and Paddock, maybe. And uh, I, I think it would be interesting. And Albert, they opened up their pockets big time during that run. They had a top three payroll in the National League for three or four years there. And at this point, you talk about being one foot in, one foot out. They they have to rebuild. And I think that if you're a team that has money, if you're not, if you're not Tampa, if you're not Oakland, if you're not Cincinnati, if you're a team that has resources, this is a great move. Just eat a contract that's not a great contract and then take uh, some nice assets back in that trade. I mean, this is something that we're seeing in the NBA, like the Brooklyn Nets did this a couple of years ago. But anyway, we're, we're getting off the rails here on the San yeah. Diego Padres. Uh, but this is an interesting conversation. Um, if you want to counter, go ahead. Otherwise, we can get to where we project. No, it's good. It's good. I, I I agree with a lot of your points about the Cubs. I actually think they're going to be better than than most people ex- expect. But um, <clears throat> to me, the Padres, they could go one of two ways, man. They could be like a Cubs-type team where they have a good couple years and then the wheels fall off. Or if they continue to build in a certain direction, this could be a sustainable, really competitive Houston Astros-like run for them. Um, I think both of those options are very, very plausible for for San Diego. So, of course, Fernando Tatis Jr. broke his wrist. We might not see him until June. Um, He could be DHing, as we mentioned. He could be outfield. Personally, I don't think his defense is that great. Um, I mean, obviously, as a young player, he's got the potential to get better. Um, But they're going to be without a guy who was an MVP candidate last year for the first three months. And then if you look at sort of we talk about with Clevenger being out to start the year, um, I I think that this team, the first month or two will be very interesting because I think when they get these guys coming back, I would expect them to heat up if they play well and then you get Tatis coming back. And then the other thing is you bring in a, they have a legitimate manager now in Bob Melvin. They brought him over from Oakland A's. And they were doing the whole, you bring in a rookie manager who sort of just listens to whatever the front office says in Jace Tingler, um, Jace Tingler out. They're not doing that. They're bringing in a big time manager and Bob Melvin. So having said all that, Albert, uh, their over under total is 90 and a half, which seems like a lot. 
I think it's a actually a pretty good number. Uh, last year they won, as we mentioned, seventy nine wins. How many wins do you have that for them this year? Wow, yeah, ninety is a tough number. <clears throat> I'm going to go just north of ninety. Um, I think they're a team that um, is going to continue to add, like we talked about. I agree with what uh, excellent point about their manager. I think he's going to be a calming influence in what was a little bit of a heated clubhouse last year. People f- don't forget, you know, there was some tension in that clubhouse between Manny Machado and Tatis, and you know, guys were at each other's throats a little bit. I think Melvin <clears throat> is one of the elite managers in baseball in terms of managing people uh, while still understanding, you know, the advanced way that baseball's played nowadays. Um, I have them just north of 90 wins. And, you know, it, it's interesting to see what guys are going to do to step up when when, uh, when Tatis is gone. You know, they signed Ha Sung Kim from, you know, overseas and gave him some money. He was a, he was a star player and, you know, he was kind of a utility guy. So he's going to get some at-bats now. Jay Cronenworth is still a really interesting guy who has some offensive potential. Um, this, to me, still is a team that's going to be very good. So I, I have them just north of 90 wins, man. I, I still think they're going to get, you know, almost half a season out of Fernando Tatis Jr., which could be in half a season, 25 home runs, you know, six, 70 RBIs. I mean, <laughs> this, this is the kind of guy who could still put up what most guys are doing a season in, you know, 90 to 100 games. Yeah, I also have them as a playoff team. I think they're going to be the number two team in this division. And then the other thing is everything we mentioned. I don't think the I don't think the San Francisco Giants are winning 107 this year. We'll talk about them in a brief second, but I'm expecting some regression from San Francisco, and that played a big factor in where this team finished last year. I think if if San Francisco ended up being a club where around 75, they were basically 32 wins better than most of us thought. I think a lot of people thought this is like a 75-win team, maybe worse than that. Maybe they're rebuilding. Um, That changes your outlook entirely because then the Padres are the second-best team in the division, and you know they're winning a lot more games against (laughs) San Francisco. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to go – I'm going to go – I'm going to say 90. And I actually have – actually, interesting enough, I have a wild-card winner in each division. So I have – rounding out my playoffs, I got now – um, Milwaukee and St. Louis, I got Philadelphia and Atlanta, and now I've got the Dodgers and the Padres. Wow. That's, that's, that's good. That's not, that makes for a very fun postseason, And I'm actually really close to you. I have the Padres at 92 wins. You can put it on the record. All right. 92 wins. I'm going 90. Okay. All right. Well, that brings us to talking about actually, you know what? We'll save the Dodgers for last. We, we have been going from the bottom to the top, but I think that we should save the Dodgers for last. So let's talk about last year's NL West champion, the San Francisco Giants, who won a 107 games last year, really out of nowhere. Nobody saw that coming. Uh, reminded me a little bit of the 2005 Chicago White Sox, where it was basically like everybody on the team has a career year at the same time. And they were a really fun team to watch last year. Didn't end up uh, getting through the postseason, of course, that they lost in five to the Dodgers and was a really fun series to watch. Um, but now here we go. San Francisco Giants. Now they lost some pieces from a year ago. Uh, how's their team looking heading into 2022, Albert? I think this is an interesting bunch because it's something you don't see a lot in sports these days, Jack, which is this team was better coached in terms of 
improving their players like ability to succeed at baseball like you don't really see that in professional sports anymore like you think what a good coach is you're like oh bill belichick he's a great coach it's like he puts the guys in the right place but it's like bill belichick doesn't show tom brady how to throw a football better but that's kind of what the giants did they're like hey man you guys can be more successful pitching this way they turned kevin gosman who was discarded by the Braves and the Reds and, you know, the Baltimore Orioles and turned them into a Cy Young contender. They turned, you know, Logan Webb into an ace when he was a fringe number five type pitcher. You know, they revitalized Brandon Crawford's career. Brandon Crawford, if you watch the video, literally changed his entire way he hits and swings thanks to uh, what they have now, which is not just one, but multiple hitting coaches. They literally were like, hey, man, you're hitting too many ground balls to the right side. So you have to literally swing this way. And he's like, okay. And these players just bought in. They literally bought in and were like, you know, and, and it's and it says something to the guys they had there because last year when we talked about, you know, preseason and, you know, outlooks and stuff, I think I had the Giants um, rate, graded pretty low just like the rest of other people because that was an old roster. I looked at him like there's a bunch of aging veteran guys here who are way past their prime. To me, this is a team that, you know, it had the better, but those, that group of veterans, they swallow their pride and they're like, man, I, I'm not the player I once was. Let me listen to these coaches and what they're telling me to do. And like you said, a bunch of them had career years, you know, guys that were basically almost on their way out of the league turned into like MVP candidates. You know, Brandon Crawford got MVP votes. Um, you know, uh, Evan Longoria was really good for the first half of the first couple months of the season. You know, Buster Posey had a great year after not playing baseball for a long time, you know. Um, so that, that they're a team that I agree will regress some, but I still think um, the organization and their coaches and the people, are so, they're so smart and they're so, so better that they have an edge that I still think they're going to be competitive. I just can't I still cannot believe the type of year that Gabe Kapler had last year. I mean, you remember what it, that whole experience was like in Philadelphia. And you and I both know a lot of Phillies fans. And he was not very popular in Philly. And what he was trying to do at that time didn't work. Now, it seems like he learned some stuff. He, he used that as a learning experience. Last year, he was the National League Manager of the Year. Um, so it'd be really interesting again, what does this Gabe Kapler era look like? Was last year just an outlier? Is he ending up, is he going to end up being one of the elite managers in the game as he was a year ago? You know, you know, it's funny. I have a, I hate to be that guy, but I have a tweet that I wrote <laughs> after the Braves were eliminated in, uh, against the Cardinals in that infamous 10 run inning where I went on record and I said, and again, I, I was like, the Braves should give Gabe Kapler a shot. Cause wow. I have always been, I wanted him. I wanted them to put Snicker in a different part of the organization. Cause I think he's a good guy, but I don't think he's, you know, the kind of baseball mind that, you know, is really what people are doing nowadays in, in 2022 and beyond. I, I was a very big, big Gabe Kapler fan. I think he got a raw deal in Philly. I think the fan base was hard on him because he made some early, you know, learn. He, he had some growing pains, right? He made some mistakes with bullpen and with the bullpen management and trying to bring in players, pitchers who weren't ready and just little things that people magnified um, in addition to the fact that, you know, the team underachieved a little bit. So I thought he got a, hard, a raw deal in, in, in Philadelphia. And I think he's a really smart guy who's, 
um, you know, was, uh, was never a superstar in baseball. And sometimes those are the best coaches, the guys that had to earn their position and their spot on the team. Oh, you know, where, Hey, you're going to be a pinch runner. You're going to be a defensive replacement. You're going to come in and, you know, be a matchup guy. Like those guys end up being really smart baseball people. Cause they have to see the game from all the little aspects. You know, is that what makes you such a good coach, Albert? Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, that's good. I actually always said that, man. I was like, I was an okay player, but I, I was ended up being a lot better coach because, you know, I wasn't just, you know, Manny, Manny Ramirez is always an example that comes up. People always say, like, you don't want to learn hitting from Manny Ramirez because, like, when you ask Manny Ramirez what hitting is, he's like, I don't know. I just hit. Like, he just, <laughs> some of these guys just go up there. They, they couldn't tell you what they're doing, but they're just so naturally gifted. And I think that that wasn't the case for Gabe Kapler. He was like a 40-something round draft pick. You know, he was a guy who was a fringe guy his whole career. He had to earn everything. And he's a very bright guy, very smart guy. And um, he's got that team and that you know organization. They're bought in to whatever their system or their structure is. They're all on board with it. And Jack, I mean, we look at this roster right now. It's not the most impressive roster. You know, it's not like you look at this roster and say, wow, they got so much talent. It's unbelievable. It's just a lot of nice little players that, you know, for some reason, they they found a way to work. They're, com- they're almost like it's like the, you know, use an NBA um, analogy earlier, they're kind of like the Miami Heat of of um, in baseball. You know, they're just they have a bunch of guys that do a bunch of little things the right way. They have a good coach who's got everyone bought in. So, despite kind of being, I think, outmatched talent wise by the Padres and the Dodgers, I still think the Giants are compete with those teams just because they do all these other little things so well. Yeah, it's really interesting. The rotation is going to look. A little different from the way it did a year ago. They lost Gossman, who he ended up starting. I think he, yeah, he gave him more starts than anybody last year. He started 33 games, had an ERA ERA of 2.81. I do think Logan Webb is legit. I think he's going to emerge as the ace of this staff going into the year. And they brought on Carlos Rodon and Alex Cobb. Carlos Rodon is coming off the best year of his career, and now he's going over to a pitcher's park in San Francisco. Be interesting to see how he does in the National League West. Uh, and again, a lot of people haven't seen Carlo. No, I can't imagine many guys in the NL West have seen him pitch before. Carlos Rodon, man, he's you know you saw him last year in Chicago. Obviously, like you know when he's on, he is really good. You know from the left side, he he has some electric stuff. Um, he had a heck of a run there last year until he dealt with a little bit of like arm fatigue type stuff. So if he's healthy. Um, I mean, that is that is a dependable starting pitcher who I think can give him some value. Uh, Alex Cobb already, I mean, I saw reports of him up to 97 miles an hour. Wow. This spring training, they've already added velocity to him. They're doing something. I don't know what they're doing over there, Jack, but they're, they're the way that they're teaching these guys like how to get the most out of themselves is they're ahead of everyone else. That's what's really interesting in baseball is like, you know, when the Astros first started doing the whole analytics thing, you know, when the when the A's started doing Moneyball, like when teams in baseball that get ahead of everyone else in one of these things, they they just they just run away with it for a while until other organizations catch up. And I think right now the Giants are the best team in baseball at getting wow maximizing their talent. They can take a guy who would be okay here and they make him really good there. And that's, that's their edge. And I think that's like, you know, why, why they're going to be so intriguing this season. A couple guys in the batting order, keep an eye on, of course, Buster Posey retired, uh, the staple. I mean, he was there for that whole run 
And now they're going to be, he's going to be replaced by top prospect. Joey Bart should be starting the year at the big league level. Um, this guy's should, he could be a star. Joey Bart could end up being a superstar. Now, obviously it's tough to fill in and be what Buster Posey was. Cause I think Buster Posey is a hall of famer. Now, that's a conversation for another time. We're running out of time here, Albert, but uh, Joey Bart, keep an eye on him. And then another guy, Tommy LaStella. I mean, he has had some stints on the DL. I'm still going to call it the DL. I'm sorry. I'm just yeah. used to it. <laughs> but uh, Tommy LaStella, I think this is the type of guy you, you want to talk about unlocking something and looking, finding guys who are underutilized and really, you know, blossoming into very good players. I think Tommy LaStella is the type of guy who can win a batting title. If he plays every day, which might not happen because I know they love their platoon stuff. I know they like to pinch hit in situations, but I, I really think Tommy LaStella is a very underrated, very good hitter. If he's able to give him a full year and he plays every day, look out for him as a potential all-star. Yeah, that's Tommy LaStella kind of defines the way they do it, right? It's an unselfish player, right, who does the little things right, who accepts, like you said, a platoon role. Um, when he's good, he I agree. This guy can easily, you know, roll out of bed and hit 315. It's, you yeah. know, the guy can really do it. Joey Bart is an interesting talent. He was a high draft pick out of college, big right-handed bat with some power. Um, I think he was like a top, uh, I think he was like third overall, something like that, in like the 18 or 19 draft. Um, a guy with really high upside, a big ceiling. He's had a lot of issues with plate discipline. Um, but that recipe or that combination to me is intriguing. When you have that upside and your biggest issue is, you know, plate recognition and plate, uh, uh, pitch recognition, plate discipline, maybe if he buys into what these coaches are selling and, you know, they can get the most out of him, look out because the power is real. It's a big, powerful, you know, right-handed guy um, who's going to, is going to have to fill in some big shoes. Buster Posey retiring at his, at his age was surprising to me. He had a really good season last year, man. And he wasn't that old and he was kind of like the, you know, he took a lot of time to get back into baseball after that injury. So um, they lost some pieces. They lost him. They lost Gosman. They lost some big guys. So, um, and they lost Chris Bryant. Remember, they they traded for Chris Bryant at the end of last year. Um, he's no longer there as well. So um, they're they're gonna have to they're gonna have to play the next man up a little bit. But I think the composition of the team is built where you know they mix and match enough to to keep them in the hunt. All right. So their over under total is eighty five and a half. You sound like you're going over, Albert. Oh man, I didn't know what the total was. I have them. All right, I got. I have to go over. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say they're an 88 win team. That's a good number. I'm gonna go a very slight over. I do think that the 85 is a really great number. Um, I do think that they're even with them winning 88 games. That's a 19 game regression from a year ago. So we are expecting some regression. I think everyone is now. Maybe the fact that. Everyone's expecting regression. That's something that Kapler uses and they're able to rally the troops and they put together another great run. I don't think that it's going to be quite what it was last year. I think they're going to be competitive. I'll go 86 wins. Ah, just, ab over. Just, just above. Okay. Very, yeah. Very slight over. Okay. Last team. We teased at the beginning. The Los Angeles Dodgers. Last year was the first year since 2012 that they did not win the National League West. They had a nice eight-year run, and they came within a game of doing it nine years in a row. They were just, my gosh, this team's a cheat code. 
<laughs> were last year. They should be again this year. Um, they bring over Freddie Freeman. They're getting the best first baseman in baseball, one of the best hitters in baseball. They did lose Corey Seager, so it's basically a Seager for Freeman one-for-one one type of situation. And then they the other real big move, aside from maybe some smaller ones, I mean, they're definitely some smaller ones, but the big one a couple days ago, trading A.J. Pollock and bringing over another former Brave in former Freddie Freeman teammate Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, I mean, Jack, you, you nailed it, man. This is this this team is a cheat code. They are the big bad wolf. They are, <laughs> you know, they're they're as much as the Braves are the reigning champions. I they're still there. The Dodgers are the favorites. They're yeah. the team that everyone uh, will be chasing. It's been a heck of an arms race. Um, Freddie Freeman just adds another premium bat in the middle of whatever what already is an incredibly stacked lineup. Um, oh, by the way, they have Mookie Betts. <laughs> oh, by the- <laughs> They have Max Muncy. Uh, they have Trey Turner in a contract year, so he's going to be playing very hard because he wants. You know, um, I, I think I think he's I think he's a free agent at, at year's end, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, he is. So <laughs> he's going to be trying to you know get that big payday himself by by really busting it extra. I mean, my my lord, if if Cody Bellinger figures it out, you know, and and remembers how to hit at the level he hit this was an mvp player you know who's i believe 25 or 26 years old i mean you know they have arguably the best catcher in baseball and will smith um it's just offensively the lineup is scary it's it's just it's a very scary team and then we haven't even got into the pitching so yeah bellinger age 26 season can he at least be better than 165 a year ago which is what he was he bad 165 I, I I would be very surprised if he's back at 165 or worse than 165. I think I'll he's gonna, what, despite yeah. what he hit over the course of the year in that National League Championship Series. Yep. He, when he came up, he did damage. He was yep. still presence. He was still a force. I mean, he had some big hits. You know, he, he had a big grand slam off of Luke Jackson on a ball that was at his eyeballs. I mean, the power and the the potential is there. Now, when he's He's the kind of guy that when he gets in a funk, he looks lost at the plate. He just looks like he's, you know, swinging the bat with the wrong end, basically. (laughs) He, uh, but you know that that I think again, I I, I, do I think he's going to be better than what he hit last year? Yeah. And guess what? If they get two forty out of him with twenty five homers and he's hitting in the seven or eight hole, that's pretty good. (laughs) You know, that's pretty good seven seven hole hitter there. uh, With you know who can who by the way is also a premium defender in the outfield. So. Well, and last year they went out and they we mentioned they had Turner and Scherzer their rotation, so they're not going to have Scherzer now. Scherzer goes over the Mets, um, but they were just fine without him. <laughs> I mean, for the previous eight years, they were really good even without Max Scherzer. But you know what that tells me, Albert? That tells me that this team's not done adding. They're they're going to see opportunities to improve where they can improve, and they're going to make their team better. And they've got five top 100 prospects. If you want to talk about depth in the farm system, they got five of them and three of them could be up this year. Right-handed pitcher, Bobby Miller, and then position players, Michael Bush and Miguel Vargas, both infielders. So I don't know, maybe there's room for those guys to step in and give them something. Maybe Gavin Lux takes a step forward this year, uh, or maybe those players, maybe Gavin Lux, maybe those are trade chips and they make their team even better. Um, which I think they, I think they're going to pull out all the stops this year. I, I, I truly think that the biggest loss 
for the, the biggest problem with the Freeman signing or the Freeman departure from the Braves. I'll say this. I don't think it's going to make a, a gigantic impact in the regular season. It certainly will make an impact, but I think the Braves are going to win the NL East this year. But if you lose Freddie Freeman and now he's going over to really your arch competitor to win the National League, and now you got to pitch to Freddie Freeman in this lineup with Mookie Betts and all these other guys who Mookie Betts killed him with all those catches a couple years ago in the NLCS, and now they got Freddie Freeman. Good luck. Good luck. I don't see a true rival to this Dodgers team when it comes postseason time. I don't see an equal to them. Now, obviously, it's baseball. So someone could be better than them in a three out of five situation. Maybe one of these wild card teams. You had the extra playoff team. One of those wild card teams heats up, gives them an interesting five games. But I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. That's where I'm looking. This Dodgers team is. I think they have to be the clear NL favorite. Can't hear you, Albert. Still can't hear you. Is that better? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, sorry. When I look at the roster, it didn't let me look at it. But um, yeah, these, these teams like the Dodgers, Jack. This team is not built for a regular season. This is a this is a team built for the playoffs, right? Yeah. They they, they the regular season to them is a matter of getting through the season staying healthy and positioning themselves for a championship run. I mean, they bounced the Braves two years in the playoffs. The Braves finally beat them last year in the National League Championship Series. Yeah, did they lose Max Scherzer and Seager? Yeah, they did. But guess what? They still got plenty of arms. Walker Bueller is still a frontline absolute take, give him the ball, and he's a horse. Julio Urias, to me, is the most probably the possibly the most underrated pitcher in baseball led the league in wins last year is a premium left-handed pitcher who i mean closed out games for them when they won the world series i think he's going to be he's ascending into like what kershaw spot used to be as like that premium left-handed pitcher i think he's that good dustin may's coming back from injury that guy's 98 to 100 with just turbo sync um they went and got craig kimbrell to sure up the back end of the bullpen because blake trinan wasn't enough apparently i mean, <laughs> I mean this 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 team is just they're just silly man they're, they're they're silly good and um you know i heard i i'll give you this one by the way i heard this fact this week you, you, craig kimbrell did you know this jack has more career saves this is his 13th season than hits allowed Wow. It's more saves than career hits allowed in 12 years of Major League Baseball. That's pretty good. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah. know what's interesting with Kimbrell is he can't pitch in a setup man role. I mean, he part of I think the thing is it's a he's a you know, these guys are creatures of habit. Yeah. And he's been a closer his entire career. You're looking at 12 years in the big leagues, 13 years. I came up around 2010-ish, maybe a little earlier than that. He's been a closer. And last year, the White Sox didn't really want to mess with what was working with Liam Hendricks. And I think that was a key factor in why Kimbrell struggled pitching out of the eighth inning. So I mean, he was he was back to his the game is over self with the Cubs for the first part of last year. Yeah. I mean, he was that good. Like the numbers, the strikeout, the strikeouts per innings were were up. The run prevention was as good as it ever been with him. And I agree. I think he's comfortable in that role. I think he's the ideal guy to be, you know, on the center stage in the spotlight for the big team in the big game, closing the ninth inning. And 
we could see a really interesting playoff matchup where it's, you got Craig Kimbrell pitching <laughs> the Braves, pitching for the Dodgers, and Kenley Jansen pitching or pitching. Pitch, I'm sorry, pitching against the Braves. Kenley Jansen facing Freddie Freeman. It's there, there's some really interesting, you know, cross connection between those two organizations. You know, Alex Anthopoulos, the GM of the Braves, was formerly with the Dodgers. So him and you know Andrew Friedman of the Dodgers, they have they've built what wasn't really a rivalry before, but to me, like, you know, Braves and Dodgers are kind of like Celtics and Lakers, or it could be, you know, in the eighties for basketball. Like these are these, they're, that's the way these two uh, franchises are positioned. So, um, you know, barring injury, uh, it's going to be a really, I think the Dodgers are in for a really, really dominant run this season. And they're going to be, they're going to be, I agree. They're the consensus favorite to win it all. And that's why I think that's the thing I think hurts the Braves the most. Not the fact that they lost Freddie Freeman, that they lost Freddie Freeman to the Dodgers. That's the problem. I was rooting for him to go as much as I don't like the Yankees. I was rooting for the Yankees because I just like, I was like, please, just anyone but the Dodgers. I actually thought as much as I think the Braves adding Matt Olson was a very savvy move. I, I didn't want them to do it and do the extension until Freddie signed somewhere because I just didn't want him to be like, oh yeah, you you don't you're gonna replace me like that? I'm going to the Dodgers. I just didn't want him to do that, and <laughs> it kind of happened that way. And here we are, and <laughs> now 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 the rich got richer, as they say. So um, yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna everyone's gonna have their work cut off cut uh, cut out for them when they face uh, LA this year. <laughs> so last year the Dodgers won 106. Their number is 97 and a half. What's the what? What are you saying, Albert? Ninety-seven and a half. You couldn't see me there, but I, I almost jumped out of my <laughs> form, a chair. Basically, we going to Vegas this weekend? Oh uh, man, I'm, I'm going. I am piling the over on that. I'm going to say this. This is a one hundred and eight win team. Give me all the wins. Yeah, I hundred and eight is a great number. I'll just go one hundred and seven, just so I can be slightly under you, Albert. I, I like my chances there. But I, <laughs> I don't know. I want to lock 108. It seems like, I don't know. But I do think they're going to win more than 105. And honestly, you know what? They could go, they could win 110. I mean, this could be a team that could break that 117 win record. I mean, that's how good this team is. And I think the other thing that plays in their favor is, yeah, the Giants won 108 or 107 last year. We both think that while the Giants will be good, they're going to be about 20 wins worse than right. they were a year ago. Um, so that's a lot of wins. And if you take a look at the National League, I mean, I got the Braves winning 93. And I think there are going to be a handful of teams in that. Uh, let's see. I, I went Phillies 88, Mets 87, Milwaukee 92, or actually St. Louis 92, Milwaukee 90. But then there are a lot of teams past that. Um, and we, oh, San Francisco. So, like, you know, you got nice haves and have-nots in this league, but there's going to be, I mean, Pittsburgh's going to be really bad. Arizona's going to be really bad. You think Colorado's going to be really bad. Um, Cincinnati's not going to be good. Uh, Washington, I think, is going to be really bad this year. So, I, there's a, like, I don't have anyone else winning 100 in the National League. Maybe you do, but I think that they're going to pile up the wins and, yeah, I. You know what? I'll 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 co-sign the 108. Let's let's go on this together. I'll say 108, Albert. Yeah, 108. I mean, it's that's a that's a big number of wins. That's a that's that's dominance. 
but I think that's what this team is. And I, I, I don't know. I think it's, you know, they're going to beat up on, on those bottom end teams. I, I, I think that Arizona is going to be in for it and Colorado is going to be in for it. So um, yeah, man, I, I, I think that one Oh eight is where we're going to be. And hopefully uh, maybe we'll have a nice Dodgers Braves series preview for the postseason twenty <laughs> two sometime near October, man. Maybe. We'll talk NLCS, and you get to see me in my most uh, nervous and panicky state uh, as, <laughs> as, late po- as late postseason Braves baseball. For the third year in a row. Let's do it. Yes, sir. All right. You want to give uh, – you have any other MLB predictions you want to give? I know you don't get to go on baseball podcasts too often. Any other predictions I'd like yeah, to? Yeah, I mean, you want to you want to give your other division champs, your World Series pick, anything of that nature. You can pass, though. You don't have to. All right, I got uh, I got the Braves winning uh, ninety seven games and winning. Okay. I have the Mets being very good and winning ninety games. I have the Phillies winning eighty nine games. I think those are going to be. I think those three teams are going to be very good. I think the Brewers are going to run away with the Central. And I, I, I actually, I disagree with you on the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals are actually going to be a below average team this year. Mm. I see them hovering around 500 potentially worse um i think the cubs are going to be around 500 potentially worse the brewers to me are really really solid off uh, uh, team who's going to be in the mid 90s mid to low 90s and wins um my my world series picks are the well i, I don't I, I guess i have to jump on the on the bandwagon everybody loves the blue jays Ooh. So I think it's going to be Blue Jays, and I think it's going to be Dodgers. It pains me, but I think the Dodgers get get through with it this year. And who wins, the Dodgers? I think the Dodgers win it all again, man. They haven't won. They haven't won a Jack in a full season in many years. Remember, they won in twenty twenty, but that was a shortened season. So I think this this is when they when they finally cement themselves. I think I'm going to give you one that I shared on an earlier episode. We went through the NL East briefly a second ago. I think your hometown club is going to be improved significantly. I think the Marlins are going to win 82 games this year. Wow. Okay. Makes sense. They got really good pitching. They got really good pitching. They got some nice young position players. Um, I, I think that I just think the what's working against them is those other teams of division are really tough, man. I mean, Philly continues to fortify itself. The Mets are committed to spend. It hurts that, you know, they're, you know, DeGrom got injured, but. Uh, they're going to continue to add. The Braves are very well positioned. So um, the Marlins, I agree, they're going to be more competitive. But I, I don't know if I don't know how much they can do in that division. I think the Nationals are going to get really beat up on this year because um, I think they're very behind it, a, a lot, a long way behind everyone. All right, Albert. Well, thank you so much, guys. He's Albert Destrade. Check out his podcast. It's called "It's Not Polite to Ask." And you can follow him on social media at zero underscore votes. You want to hype any of that stuff or plug anything while you're here before you say goodbye for now? Yeah, please. Yeah, please check out our podcast. Uh, it's not polite to ask. Uh, we have a good time. Uh, my co-host, Brandon Shaw, and myself will make you guys. Interim, interim co-host. The interim co-host. Exactly. For, for the, you can tell Jack, as uh, our listeners know, know all about that. But uh, <laughs> please check us out on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. Toss us a like. Toss us a subscription. Uh, we love the support. And uh, Jack, man, it's, it's always a pleasure talking baseball with you, man. Oh, always. We'll do a midseason checkup sometime. We'll get O on here, too. Awesome stuff, for sure. 
All right, y'all, that does it today for my conversation with Albert Destrade. Make sure you follow him and check out his podcast, It's Not Polite to Ask. We're going to be back. We got one more preview, the AL Central. Uh, Still not sure if Clarence Black will be joining me or Jake Poliga, but we're going to figure it out, and we're going to get that out before opening day, and I will give you my World Series picks on that episode of the show. I'm excited. We got a lot going on. Also, NCAA tournament's right about to wrap up. So based on when you're listening to this, maybe it's already been released or maybe it hasn't, but I'm going to be releasing it. So maybe you guys want to go back and check it out if it's already out. But NCAA tournament, one shining moment podcast, looking back on the tournament and talking about the national championship game. In the final four, I'll have Lexus Williams back here with me and Jason Karras joining us as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And like I said, we're going to be providing the baseball content all season long. So make sure you guys subscribe to the Jack Vita Show, wherever it is that you get your podcast, and log on to my site, jackvita.com. Until our AL Central preview, Object Vita, bring in the dancing lobsters. <laughs>